Well, one team had the day off. The other team appeared to play like it. <laughs> Good evening, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell. Welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, as we're going to sit back and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds tonight. And Don't look now, but it's almost deja vu from a year ago for the Cleveland Indians as they are back in the pennant race. At least they were up until this afternoon. Let's go down south and find out what's happening with the Cincinnati Reds with our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, good evening. How are you doing? I'm well, David, and I would I would say I, I disagree with you after 30 seconds into the show. I disagree with you already. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure we have much to talk about about the Reds, but uh, notwithstanding your, your pessimism after today's game, uh, Indians game, the Indians are still in it. And, uh, you know, I like their schedule, and they, you know, they – they have a chance to control their own destiny. And that's all you can ask going into September. I mean, if they play like they can play, and if they run off, you know, seven, eight, nine games in a row, they have a chance to make the playoffs again. Well, maybe I misrepresented it, Mark, but actually what I was saying was the way that they played this afternoon in the 12-1 to loss to the Tigers it was almost like they had a day off, just like the Reds did. Now, i got to ask you this question. Right off the top, how in the world can you have a day off on Labor Day You know, we were as a baseball team? On WLW today, they were talking about that, and they cannot remember the last time the Reds had an off day uh, on a major holiday like that. You know, Memorial Day, July 4th, Labor Day, typically everybody plays. And if you recall... Those were the days, those three holidays, that traditionally, back in the 50s and 60s, that's when you had your doubleheaders. Uh, that's, that, that was just a, a tradition for decades where you have a July 4th doubleheader or Memorial Day doubleheader. And I, I'm a big believer in, as a former player, uh, not in the big league level, but certainly have played many doubleheaders in my day. You know, once you're up and running and, and you're, you're – loose and you're ready to go, uh, playing two games in a day is not a problem for the players. I would rather do that and get three or four more off days, you know, during the season where you could have maybe two days off in a row, which really rests you. And uh, But, of course, Major League Baseball won't do that because it takes away gates. And it's all about the uh, Benjamins now, as you well know, Dave. Oh, absolutely so. That's exactly what is the the game is all about money, money, money. Well, let's talk about the Indians before we get into the Reds here this evening. The Indians are probably on their best streak of the year, Mark. They're 70 and 65. This is just the second time all year that they have been five games above 500. They're in third place. They're four games behind Kansas City and Detroit in the Central Division. And they're four and a half games out of that last playoff berth, the wild card situation. Now they're 4-3 on the week. They've won five of their last ten. I'll tell you what, Mark, you know, the longer and longer this season goes, and I look at this ball club and I have to say, how in the world are they doing it? And the answer is, they're doing it with their pitching. After going through April, May, June, and July, with an ERA on their staff, above four and a half. Suddenly, in the month of August, Mark, they turned on the pitching, and their ERA 
since the All-Star break, the middle of July up until today's 12-to-1 debacle, was 2.72. That's amazing after they traded what everyone would say their best pitcher was going into this year in Masterson. And uh, from what I understand, the Indians have some talent in the minor leagues, too, uh, on, on the pitching side. So uh, that's, you know, that's how you stay in it. But I'll say one other thing about the Indians. I, I think the reason they're able to hang tough to a large degree is because of Francona. He's been there. He's a steadying influence to the younger players. He doesn't panic. And, again, we've talked about this for, for two years now that I think the best move the Indians have made is bringing in Terry Francona. He sets a tone for that team, and he also makes it a destination point for, for potential free agents. And the Indians aren't that far away from being a pretty darn good team. Well, it's interesting that you bring this up, and normally I wait till the Ask Us segment, which comes up at the bottom half of the hour, but let's jump ahead real quick and just ask one of these questions that was on our Ask Us segment for tonight. And that comes from KDP. And since you brought up Francona, let's just continue on with this. Do you think, Mark, that this could be his best managing job ever? Well, that's such a subjective question because there's so many variables when you look back at what Francona did with the Red Sox. And, of course, he won the World Series there. But um, I don't think that you can look at a manager – for one year and say that's his best or it's worst because you it's to be determined how strong his roster really is. You won't know how good these guys are for another couple of years when you look back and say, yeah, this guy's pretty good. But it, it, it appears to me that the Indians have a bunch of, I don't mean this derogatorily, but if you ask a Los Angeles Dodger fan to name uh, the, the best five players on the Cleveland Indians, I bet he couldn't do it. Well, Chris Perez is on the Dodgers, and I don't think he could do it. Well, probably not. But my point is they're not well-known guys, you know, toiling in Cleveland. So to the degree that Francona can bring a team together, I think that's why he was hired. And he's – I don't know if it's his best job or not, but he's doing his job. He is doing why what he was hired for. And that's really all you can ask a manager to do. And when you have a guy like Francona make – uh, you know, make something out of nothing with this Indians team, you have to wonder why the, the, the front office didn't help him at the All-Star break or at the, tra- at the trading deadline and bring in that extra key bat that I think would have put this team easily into the playoffs. Boy, you keep jumping ahead to our Ask Us segment. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to wait for that one until the bottom of the hour. But, you know, you're right because this front office of, Chris Antonetti and Mark Shapiro did absolutely nothing to help this team out, except for the fact that they brought in a Zach Walters, who was the man that they got in return for his Drupal Cabrera from the Washington Nationals. And Mark, he's played outstanding ball. He's hit five home runs as an Indian, two of them walk-off homers. He had a double the other night that was a big hit for the Indians. And even though this kid strikes out a tremendous amount, probably really hasn't been ready for Major League Baseball. He may be next year. He'll probably be in their plans more. But this kid's really carried this ball club. Well, you have to admire, I know we'll talk about this in a few minutes, too, about David Broxton going to Milwaukee, but you you admire these teams like Milwaukee and others who go out and do something. 
they do something. And sometimes it's not the right thing to do. But when when the Toronto or when Tampa Bay traded David Price to Detroit, everyone is saying, "Well, you didn't get enough. You didn't get enough." Well, what has David Price brought to Detroit? Uh, Detroit, I think, has a losing record since they picked up David Price. So it's not always going after and getting that big name that you have. But you know, these teams like Tampa Bay, they make those deals and they pick up talent that keeps them competitive three or four years into the future. They pick up some really good young young talent. Oakland has done that. Uh, Milwaukee has done that uh, time and time again. And so it's it's interesting to see how the philosophies of these teams uh, come back to roost at the end of the year. Uh, I, I know all Reds fans who are fans of Jockety are going to say, yeah, but the reason they're so bad this year is because of injuries. Well, look at the Cardinals. The Cardinals lost 60% of their pitching staff. They lost their starting, obviously, obviously their best player uh, in Molina, and they're in first place, so they were going into today. So you can't blame injuries. There's, uh, if you're going to make the deals that Jockety did to sign four or five players and have it eat up 80% of your of your payroll, then you're going you're gonna to pay the price if those guys get hurt. And that's exactly yeah. what happened to the Reds. And that's what's going on. The Reds off tonight, as we said, 66-71 and 71 on the year. They're in fourth place, seven and a half games behind St. Louis in first place. They were 3-3 three and three on the week, though. They've won five of their last ten. But in the wild card, the Reds are seven games behind Milwaukee for that last wild card spot, Mark. And then they turn around and they trade their second best reliever, Jonathan Broxton, to Milwaukee, whom they're fighting with. For a playoff spot, yet Walt Jockety made sure that he alerted the media yesterday and told them that even though he was trading John Broxton to the team that they are not only battling for a division title but a playoff berth with, the Reds have not given up for this season. Well, there's two sides to that coin. Number one, they have given up. Number one, (laughs) They, they have given up. If they haven't given up, then they're not reading the paper. But number two, I think that was the best deal Jockety's made for a while. Uh, Broxton, as a $7.5 million, soon-to-be $9 million a year setup man for Chapman, was way, way overpriced. And you can take that now. Next year, they would vote him $9 million. And I think, what did Cruz sign for? $8 million this year with Baltimore? Yes. So that's the kind of player you could take, take that money and do something with. The question is, will the Reds do that? Or are they going to throw it into contracts with uh, Matt Latos or Mike Leake or their existing staff? If they don't bring any more offensive players into that into that clubhouse, you're not going to have pitchers who want to pitch for the Reds. They're going to want to be traded because you can't win with that kind of offense. They lost – David, you said they're seven and a half games back. They lost two games to Pittsburgh this weekend. They, they should have won both games, had a chance to win both games. Had they done that, they would have been only seven games back in the wild card. I, I mean, I'm sorry, five games back in the wild card after all this. And the, but they just refused to add any kind of offensive power, and that team is so easily pitched to that it's a joke. Well, you say that this is the best deal that Jockety has made. It, it's really, Mark, the only deal he's made this year. That's why it's the best. <laughs> Good point. You know, I, I guess he, it's the best by attrition. 
because and then this guy turns around like I said and tries to sell the fans so they buy tickets for the rest of the year while the Bengals are back in motion and in town now. He tells the fans that they're not begging out of the playoffs. Well, Mark, if you I could understand trading Broxton. I get that, not a problem. But to the team that you're battling against? Well, uh, frankly, I don't think Broxton uh, is going to be a guy that's going to be a deal make a deal changer or you know make or break a team. Uh, he, he's going to be a setup relief guy. Now he may go into the closer role next year if they don't send, uh, resign. Well, him. I think they're planning on putting him at closer right now because Rodriguez isn't pitching well. Yeah, they may well be doing that. But if he's going to be your closer, good luck. Uh, he's a good – I think his best position would have been like the sixth or seventh inning. Uh, he comes in and he has pitched very, very well up until the last, I guess, two weeks. Uh, whereas, you know, ZRA, I think two weeks ago, was below one. It's now up to about 186 because he got hit around a couple times. But he, he's not a closer. And if he's going to be your closer, I'm, I'm happy Milwaukee would put him in a closer role because I think he's not, he's not suited for that. But the bigger issue is going to be what the Reds are going to do with Chapman again. Because there's, you know, as you may have heard, they put Latos and Leak on waivers last week, just like Broxton was. And they wanted to find out what the value was, and which is, happens all the time. But if one of those guys go, and I think it's going to be Latos, uh, then I think they're going to move Chaplin, Chapman into the rotation next year. Well, that would be an interesting situation because they've been threatening to do that now for the last two years and really have been nonchalant about it and, and haven't done it. They haven't pulled the trigger on it. What makes next year any different than the p- previous two years? Because I think they're going to be out of pitchers. And, you know, I've not followed up, as I should have, on Tony Singrani, what he's doing, what he did down in AAA, but uh, I've not heard anything good. Uh, certainly good would be he's coming back to the big league team, but his arm is problematic at this point. And I'm, I'm very concerned about Homer Bailey. Uh, I, he's done for the year. And I, I hope it's not Tommy John uh, with him, which would, means he's out for all of next year. So I think the Reds have some problems on the pitching rotation. And the other thing is that Robert Stevenson has really fallen on hard times this year. You know, he was going to be the, the savior for this, this team, and he has not pitched well. So I don't know what you do next year. Unless you put Chapman in the rotation, you're going to be down at least two starters, maybe three from the rotation that you had going into this year. Well, then you can slide J.J. Hoover into that closer spot. Oh, yeah, that that would be my vote. <laughs> Mark, the two teams' records in August were almost totally different. They were totally different. In August, the Indians went 17-9. and That's what scratched their way back into this playoff chase. The Reds, though, they went 12-17. and Now, here's a look at what's going on for both teams in September. First of all, for the Indians in September, they are right now today started an 11-game homestand. This goes today through the 11th of September. Through the month of September, they're going to play 17 home games, 10 on the road, and the last six of the year at home. They'll play Detroit, the White Sox, the Astros, the Twins, Kansas City, and Tampa with one makeup game next Monday night against the Los Angeles Angels. Mark, I think out of those 27 ball games, 
I think they need at least 18 wins to make the playoffs. I think they're going to need more than that. Uh, I, I was looking at that, and I figured, well, the game they have in hand with, with L.A., uh, they're, they're ahead 4-2 to two on that game, I believe. So you got to get, you know, assume they're going to win that game. Um, but I, I thought they needed 19 to 20 games just because I think the teams uh, are going to start bearing down now the ones that are in playoff contention. But uh, they they need to get hot, no question about it. But as you just mentioned with the schedule, they play the teams in front of them, and they're going to have a chance. I mean, there's there's no way around it. They they control their own destiny. If they win 17, 18, 19, 20 games. They're going to be there the last weekend, no matter what. So, Well, that game you're talking about, Mark, is not the Angels game. It's a Kansas City game that they played last night. That Again, the defense let them down in the eighth inning. It was a 2-1 to one Indians lead. They had a chance to, to uh, win that ball game. Alex Gordon hit a home run in the bottom of the ninth to tie it up. The Indians then scored two runs in the top of the tenth to take the 4-2 to two lead, and then the rains came. And I guess I should have saw what was happening this afternoon. I should have known this was going to happen because the Indians didn't leave Kansas City until 4.30 this morning. Got back into Cleveland, I think, around 7.30 or 8 o'clock, and they had a 4 o'clock game this afternoon because of ESPN wanting to move the game up against the Tigers. So that game, believe it or not, Mark, it was played in Kansas City last night. They're going to finish it. On September the 22nd in Cleveland, that will be finished in Cleveland prior to the Indians taking on Kansas City that night in that game. Now, I know baseball is doing this. I think I can only remember one other time that they've done it where they've had a rain out and only one other opportunity to make it up, and instead of flying into Kansas City for a half an inning or an inning, they do it at the opposing team's home field. It's strange, but I guess you do what you've got to do. Yeah, and that benefits the Indians, uh, certainly. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's no other choice. You don't want to fly back to Kansas City to play an inning. And that's the only chance they have to do that. But, uh, you know, I don't know if you, you talk about defense. Did you see the Detroit game? I think it was last night where they made three errors that cost them the game. And, yes. Uh, I don't see that the Indians' defense is getting better anytime soon, and which you know makes me wonder how are they going to a- a- approach their roster next year. I mean, this team is the worst defensive team by a long shot. I mean, compared to other teams, they they really. What amazed me when I saw them play for three games is it's not just the errors they make; it's the lack of range they have. And that is as damning to a pitcher as a guy making an error. You know, a fly ball that isn't caught or a, a ground ball that a third baseman can't, you know, cover more than a step or a step and a half. Uh, that is really frustrating to pitchers. So, you know, the Reds have to build their offense, but I think the, the Indians have to work on some defense. No, I agree with you on that. It, it's It's been a problem all year long. I agree with you. And another problem they had defensively, is the fact that they don't throw to the proper bases at the proper time. They lose focus as far as whether or not, like, for example, last night, Kansas City had the bases loaded and one out, and the ball was hit on a high chopper to short. Now, Ramirez 
instead of going home in the eighth inning of a two to one ball game, or a two to nothing ball game, instead of going home, he decided to go for the double play with one out, and it wasn't a ball that you could pull a double play on. Now he should have come home and got that runner, but nonetheless the the run scored that made it two to one, and then like I said, Gordon's home run in the bottom of the ninth tied things up. Let's get back to the Reds, Mark, where their September schedule, they've got 25 games left. They play the Brewers six times, three at home, three on the road. They play St. Louis seven times, four at home, three on the road. They play Pittsburgh three times. Those are the last three games of the year. They play the Cubs and the Mets three times, and they play the Orioles this week in Baltimore in a three-game set. You know, when you look at that schedule, Mark, the Reds have their destiny in their own hands, too. Yes, but their destiny requires them to go like 22-3. and three. And uh, th- this team couldn't go 22-3 and three against a double-A team. Uh, so uh, the Reds really, I, I don't believe, have a reasonable chance. That's why I was happy with the deal with Broxton. Something they should have done earlier uh, to rid some of the payroll they have on, on this team and pick up some young talent because Dave, what scares me about the Reds is not just their their 25 man roster; it's their 40 man roster, and it's their uh, it's their talent in high Double A and Double A. Uh, they got they got two or three decent players, but you don't see any any of the Reds players in the top 10 or top even top. I haven't seen any in the top 20 since Stevenson. And Stevenson, again, is, is, is falling on hard times, and maybe it's an aberration, I don't know. But it, this organization, uh, they have bet and lost in some of these guys, and it starts and ends with the front office. I mean, you know, people are down here in Cincinnati are saying, get rid of Price, the manager. It's not his fault. He, he's a good manager. But you can't, you, you can't manage when the middle of your lineup uh, and, and the guys you're depending on, like, like Jay Bruce is hitting, uh, Jay Bruce is hitting 217. Two, 217. He's your starting right fielder and was an all star a year or two ago. And he only has 14 home runs and 55 RBIs. And then you have your two left fielders averaging probably your three left fielders, Schumacher, Heisey, and Ludwig, uh, averaging probably around 228. And it's impossible to win with that. You, you can live with a, a shortstop. You're just hitting around 225, 230. If you have guys in the outfield that are hitting, or you have a first baseman that's hitting, but the Reds don't, and they've done nothing to shore up that offensive. We've said all year. So um, while I'm concerned about, you know, what ha- today somebody brought up a point that Joey Votto could have a chronic injury. What do you do with this organization then? He's in the first year. Well, he, did, didn't he try to work out last week and? His leg was bothering him again. Yeah, he said they had significant. He had significant pain. He's been off for four months. What makes anybody think that six months from now he's going to be ready to play 162 games? It's 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 a frightening thought that they give this guy a 250 million dollar contract over the next ten years. In his first year, he is having an injury that they call potentially uh, career-threatening because if it's if it's that kind of injury where you can't fix it and you can't get the strength back in that le- left leg, that's his power leg, 
he doesn't even then have any value as a as a designated hitter. And if he can't play, uh, if if he, I don't know what kind of insurance policy they have on that. If he's completely in, in, unable to play, I heard they didn't have an insurance policy on that because it was too expensive. Well, twenty five. Wow. But twenty five million a year for ten years is going to be really expensive. So I, I hope that's you know you hear a lot of rumors and you you don't know what's right and what isn't right, but this guy has been on the DL now for four months. When he played, he was not playing well. It, it was painful to watch him play, David. I don't know if you did or not, but he had no drive off his back leg. He had no power, and it was it was sad to see. And he's a he's a big strong dude. I mean, I've I've gone down and stood next to Joey Votto. He's a big guy, <laughs> and. Uh, if he doesn't have that power in his legs, though, he, he's going to be the most expensive uh, 220 singles hitter you've ever seen. So this is something, an injury that surgery cannot correct. I'm, I'm not going to try and play doctor. They said it emanated from his knee surgery he had two years ago. And, you know, last year he played 162 games. And so it, it, I don't know how it's linked but they said there was a weakness in his thigh that was caused by the knee injury. And, I, again, I don't know the medical connection between those two things, how that could be, but that's what I had heard. But when you when you don't have any power in your drive leg, it's called. Uh, Joey Votto is a left-hand hitter, so he drives off his left leg. You're not going to hit for power. And they said that his, his mobility, what was really problematic when he worked out the other day was, his side-to-side -side mobility on defense was, was very, very limited, and he was hurting the next day. So, number one, I think it's very, very remote. We're going to see Joey Votto again this year. But I'll tell you, this winter, uh, a lot of people in the Reds' front office are going to be holding their breath, wondering if Joey Votto is going to be the player they signed uh, a couple of years ago to 250 large. Well, Mark, I don't know who's going to be a free agent next year. Obviously, Nelson Cruz is, but you're not going to get him an $8 million like you did this year. And probably Baltimore will pony up the money and sign him to a long-term contract after the year he's had this year. But with the trading of Broxton, you save $9 million there. With Ludwig, from what I understand, that's $7 million, correct? That's right. Okay. And let's say they trade Latos. How much is he making? Uh, I think he's around uh, seven or eight million right now. But there's a he, he gets a big raise coming up. Uh, I think he becomes a free agent after fifteen, I believe. Okay, so if you don't do anything else with those three players, don't bring in anybody else, don't go out and sign another free agent, you're still two million dollars a year shy of paying Joey Votto. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Okay, Unbelievable. That's frightening. And, and Jockety still has his job. Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to believe that Joey Votto wouldn't. I mean, why wouldn't you sign him to, I would pay him a little more, but, you know, sign him to a five- or six-year deal. Uh, I, I don't know anybody that was going to go out there and pay Joey Votto the kind of money the Reds did uh, for a hitter who is, you know, in a good year, Joey Votto is going to hit 320 or 315. He'll drive in 100 runs and, and 25, 30 home runs. He's not a 50, 60, you know, 60 home run guy. 
he's a he's, he's a solid defensive player. I like Joey Votto, but not at twenty five million dollars a year. I don't. But you know that's that's they obviously made the calculation, and thus far, and it's not fair. It's not fair to, to grade this signing on one injured injury filled year, but it does it has to lead to the conversation of what if. What if this is a chronic injury? And Joey Votto is half or a third the player that they thought he was going to be. This organization is going to suffer for the next decade because of that deal. Well, I'm just curious. I mean, I I know I get upset at the Indians front office a lot, Chris Antonetti and Mark Shapiro, over their inability to do anything. And the things that they have done, I can understand why they did it. For example, Nick Swisher... Michael Bourne. They got those guys at a discount. Now, they have made trades that I know were uh, in the works that they didn't do. There, there were trades that they didn't do, and I thought they should have. And I also go back, Mark, to the fact that they let Kazmir, whom I was a proponent of saying, okay, let him go because I didn't think he was worth the money. Turns out I was wrong, although in the month of August, he did not pitch very well. And Ubaldo Jimenez has been moved into the bullpen. He has proved to be a nightmare for Buck Showalter. And Buck Showalter may lose his hair. That beautiful head of hair that he has, he may lose it over the fact that they signed this guy to a four-year contract. Unbelievable. But when you look at what Walt Jockety has done for the Reds in the Joey Votto contract, in the fact that he went out and signed Matt... Uh, Ryan Ludwig, to a two-year deal, and he's done virtually nothing for this ball club. And everything else that he's done with this team, I really, and you and I have gone over this time and time again, I understand that, but I really don't know how this guy keeps his job. Well, I, he'll he'll either have a job or he won't. I heard uh, that he's going to be re-signed. Uh, <laughs> it's not my money. It's It's Bob Castellini's money. But, Does he have pictures of Castellini somewhere or what? I don't know how you can look at this roster and say, wow, good job there, uh, Mr. General Manager. Uh, it, it just it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, now, you, you look back at the Broxton deal. I, you mentioned you know getting rid of him, but I, apparently this Rossiel Iglesias, uh, the guy they signed for, what, $27 million, I think, um, over the next several years, it is supposedly be the real deal. Uh, he better be, because that's another big contract that that the Reds have have taken on. And again, I'm looking at the Reds roster right now, and, and David, there's some guys here that if they they went to a tryout camp, they wouldn't make it. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Uh, I, I don't understand their their philosophy, but it's it's the fans. I have to endure that, and the only way the fans make a statement is they don't show up. It's like that old saying: uh, if, if your phone isn't ringing, it's me. Uh, you know, to show your your dissatisfaction. How has the attendance been? Uh, it, it's been good, and but they had a lot of, of season ticket sales uh, going into this year because the Reds were, were favored to win by many estimations. Uh, they were going to win it this year. And they're not even going to, I mean, the Reds have a chance, a much better chance of finishing last than they do first. Uh, 
you know, luckily they, they beat the Cubs two out of three last week. But, uh, the, you know, the Reds, the, the, this team has every potential of finishing in last place this year if they continue with their their current hitting. And they got to play Baltimore three times. As you mentioned, they got to play uh, between the, the Pirates, the Cardinals, and the uh, Brewers. They got 16 games, and then you add the Orioles in there. That's 19 games against teams with winning records. They have six against the Cubs and Mets, and they should win maybe four of those or three of those. But I mean, the Reds could the Reds could lose 80, 90 games this year uh, easily. In fact, they they're on a path to lose 90 games, but they could they could lose 93, 94. I've got two questions for you, Mark, before we get into our Ask Us segment, and I've got to ask you this. Homer Bailey, of course, you said you were worried about him and maybe having to undergo Tommy John surgery. Have you ever heard of a pitcher that has sustained the injury that he has right now and not undergone Tommy John? No, I haven't. That's what uh, that's what concerns me. They, they say it's uh, – I mean, of course they're going to downplay it, um, that's what's so frustrating for fans. I think the, the, the these people act like you're you're guarding, uh, you know, America's secrets or something. Um, w- why not tell the truth? They've been they've been lying about Joey Votto all year. Uh, they lie about their pitching. The pitchers getting hurt. They don't tell the truth, uh, and it, it's very frustrating to the fans. And if if in fact Homer Bailey has what I fear he has. He ought to be in surgery now because he, he's going to, he, he could miss a year and a half if he's not. At least he could come back in 16 if he, you know, it takes next year to recover. But he, you know, he's a guy you owe a hundred million dollars to, Dave. A hundred million dollars. Yeah, here's two guys, Mark and Homer Bailey and Joey Votto, that you're paying $325 million to over the next seven to ten years and they may not play. That's right. I mean, that's the, the lunacy of what Jockety did is is breathtaking. It, it really is breathtaking. Uh, there is, I heard rumors, not rumors. I saw comments from scouts about Homer Bailey that everybody was really pissed off because they raised Jockety raised the value of mediocrity, and that's all you can say about Homer Bailey. Does he have a good arm? Yeah, he's got a great arm. Uh, can he throw a no hitter? Yeah, but I think he's for his career what four games over five hundred or something like that. Uh, he is not a guy that you would pay a hundred million dollars to over the next seven years. And but but the Reds did, and as you're right, three hundred and twenty-five million dollars guaranteed for those two players who may not play. That if a general manager can keep his job after that, then God bless him. Mark, let's look at it this way. Agents love Jockety, and other general managers right now are cursing him. Now, the 40-man rosters expanded today, the 1st of September. What are the Reds' plans with Singrani and Stevenson? Are they going to bring them up? Well, they haven't yet. At least they hadn't about an hour ago. And, uh, again, I don't know Singrani's uh, arm situation. That's another guy who came into, you know, he was a Reds' number five starter when the season started and pitched a great game uh, the first week, and everybody thought this guy was going to be the next it guy, and he wasn't. And not only did he get hurt, but even when he wasn't hurt, he wasn't pitching that well. 
so you could have a Singrani move into the bullpen. Uh, perhaps I mean, he throws hard. He wouldn't be a bad guy to put in the closer role if he can get his control down, and that would then move Chapman into the into the starting rotation. Or you bring Singrani and Chapman into the rotation, uh, pray that Bailey's healthy. Then you have Cueto and Latos and Leak. So you got six starters potentially there, but you're going to have to trade one or two of those guys. There's no way. There's no way you can't and keep this payroll within reason. I mean, I mean we're talking about talking about Homer Bailey at $100 million. What the hell do you play, pay Johnny Cueto? Oh, that's what I mean. Other GMs are cursing Jockety right now because this doesn't just stem to the Reds paying Johnny Cueto and Matt Latos. It stems to, that's one of the reasons that the Indians couldn't get Josh Masterson signed because he saw what Homer Bailey signed for and wanted at least a portion of what Homer Bailey was going to get. Yeah, and again, uh, and this is a rhetorical question because I don't know the answer. If Bailey, as a 500 pitcher, or a little more than, a little better than 500, but certainly not nearly the pitcher Cueto is, if he's worth 100, what do you pay Cueto? You got it. Well, here's here's another question, Mark. I know Max Scherzer is on the the, the free agent market this winter. The heck is he going to get? Yeah, it's really getting amazing in terms of these numbers. And uh, I know the baseball contracts for TV have gone up dramatically the last several years. But at some point, uh, you know, you're going to have a half a billion dollar payroll for some of these teams. And the Dodgers aren't that far away from that. Uh, well, what, a, almost $300 million now? Almost. So, I mean, and these guys are either have to be traded or, or, or you release them or something. But... Uh, it, it's not so much the amount, it's the duration. That 10-year contract, the 7-year contract for Bailey, 10 years for Votto, that is what kills you. Uh, with, and, and don't forget, you know, uh, Brandon Phillips is making $12 million a year, and there's several years left on that contract. Then what do you do with Mezzarocco? Uh What do you do with Billy Hamilton, who could be rookie of the year? Uh, you've got a lot of guys that are going to be demanding a lot more money, and then you have you have a group like Santiago and Ludwig and Shoemaker or Schumacher that that really shouldn't be on this team next year. But you you have to have those guys because they're low paid, and to offset the money you're paying. And we forgot Jay Bruce. I <laughs> Jay he's hitting two seventeen, and he's I think he's due what nine or ten million dollars next year. Uh, it's it's a frightening situation that's come up. It's extremely frightening. Well, back to the Indians very quickly before we get into the Ask Us segment, which we're a little late on right now. The Indians recalled Zach McAllister from Columbus when the rosters expanded today. They placed Josh Tomlin on the paternity list. McAllister pitched today, did a pretty good job. He seems to have his curveball back, and that's going to help him, especially next year if they can get him back into the rotation. Now, Corey Kluber, you know, Mark, I think he's got Red's disease because he's had to pitch so many tight ball games this year. He looked like a Cy Young Award candidate about a, oh, four or five starts ago, but here in his last three or four starts, Mark, he appears to be fading. So what did the Indians do in order to help him out? They bolstered their bullpen by bringing up Austin Adams, Brian Price. They also brought up infielder Jesus Aguilar this afternoon and old friend 
Jason Giambi is back on the active list after being on the 60-day DL. So those are the notables that the Indians brought up today. But now it's time for our Ask Us segment. This is your chance to ask Mark and I on this Labor Day evening your questions about the Reds and the Indians, and you can send us questions to Ask Us or D. Mitch at UltimateSportsTalk.com, or you can tweet in your questions to at OHBB co-host. Okay, Mark, Christopher asks us, and let's go back to the Reds for right now. It's been a tough year for the Reds. Besides pitching, what bright spots do they have for next season? Well, I think there's two, actually three things that you could look at as, as bright spots going forward, three players that I think the Reds can hang your hat on, and maybe a fourth. But certainly Devin Mesoraco, Todd Frazier, and Billy Hamilton are three guys that you can use you, you, you can rely on, I think, for uh, consistent uh, contributions to the team. Mezzarocco, he had a breakout year this year. He's hitting about 280. I think he's got 20 home runs, 65, 70 RBIs, and he's a good he's a good young catcher. And he's going to be around this year, uh, around for a few years. Todd Frazier, again, if Todd Frazier was hitting sixth or seventh on this team, he would be, you know, playing above his pay grade. Uh, Billy Hamilton. Billy Hamilton's going to—he's going to steal probably 65 to 75 bases this year as a rookie, and hitting much better than anybody thought. I, I mean, it looks like I estimated he'd hit about 240. He said at 267 this year, he might—he could be up around 270, 275. But his defense, Dave, has been gold glove. He has been amazing defensively. And the thing that's shocked me about the guy—he's got a cannon for an arm. And so a lot of those things are going to get better with age. So I think Reds fans can count on those three guys. And the other guy that I really like is uh, Negron. He he has come. He, he brings a lot of hustle. He's a he's a good defensive player. He makes contact, and he would be a great number two hitter for the Reds next year behind Billy Hamilton. And the, the question is, where do you play him? And my recommendation to Walt Jockety is put Negron at third base and move Todd Frazier to left field. He is your answer in left field. You don't have to go get another left fielder if you want to you know, bring in some bats on the bench uh, or consider trading Jay Bruce. Uh, I know I'm not, I'm not saying trading because he's hitting 217. I'd say trading because he strikes out 150 times a year, and you don't need that on this team. So uh, the Reds have some, have some people who have come through this year, but there's been not enough from the, the, the stars that you anticipated, like like Joey Votto and Jay Bruce. They just have not performed. Well, Tiny Tina asks us tonight about the Indians. With the deals that the Tribe made and where they are in the standings right now, is Chris Antonetti a genius or just lucky? <laughs> well, i got to say, Mark, I think he's probably pretty lucky. I think this guy thought that these trades that he made – uh, getting rid of Josh Masterson and his Drupal Cabrera and John Axford to Pittsburgh and picking up what he picked up, I think he was looking for next year and the year after. And the thing is, is that these ball players have come in here and really provided a spark, especially Tyler Holt. I think this kid's got a future with this ball club. I'm not quite sure if it's going to be as an everyday player yet. I'd like to see him play a little bit more. But right now, for some reason, Francona has got this enamoration with 
he's enamored with uh, Curtis Dickerson, who is 32 years old and a career AAA player. He came in and hit for the first couple of weeks for the Indians, but now lately he's gotten back to why he is at AAA over his career. So I think probably Antonetti, uh, it was a little bit of both. Uh, he managed to get rid of Esdrubal Cabrera and Josh Masterson. And I really think, Mark, when you look at Masterson, I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility that he could be back with the Indians next year. He was happy with the Indians. He likes the players. He likes the city. He likes Francona. He likes the front office. And I don't think it's outside of the possibility that he could come back to the Indians next year. Do you want him back? Um, yes and no. I, I believe that this team going into next year, Kluber will obviously be the ace. You've got Bauer who is really turning out to be a bulldog. Uh, if this kid ever learns how to pitch, I mean really pitch, he's going to be lights out. So I think he'll go into the year being your number two starter. And then, of course, you've got Salazar. And I think they're weak in the back end of the rotation. Carlos Carrasco, although he's pitched pretty well over the last three or four outings, I don't know if he can do it for long term. If we can get the Masterson back from a year ago, yes, I would love to have him back. If it's going to be the Masterson that has struggled throughout this year. And remember, Mark, he's gone to St. Louis. He's won two ball games. Now, the first time that he won, he didn't look too good. And then the second win... He looked very good. He looked like the old Masterson. He went seven innings, pitched some good baseball. But he's been up and down. He's been inconsistent, and that's been his problem all year. He needs to get that consistency back. And it, it, You're taking a shot, but if you sign him to a two-year deal, it might be worth it. But wasn't his good outing against the Reds? I don't recall right off the, right off the top of my head. I think it was. I think it was a Saturday afternoon game, and he looked good, but it was against the Reds. <laughs> so I'm not sure that's a, a test that uh, you want to base a contract on. That's true. You're probably right there. Okay, let's go back to the Reds. Marcus Holm asks us, if Jockety does leave the Reds, do you think the new GM will blow things up? No, I don't. I don't think he'll blow things up because I don't think you have to. There's a lot of talent on on, on the Reds' 25-man roster. Uh, what where you get in trouble and where it's falling apart this year is their 40-man roster and their minor league teams. They, they they don't have that depth of talent to bring in like the Cardinals do. The Cardinals just churn, uh, bring guys up, and they go out and win 14 games a year. You never heard of them before. Or they'll come in and they, and they hit, <laughs> and the Reds don't have that. So the Reds have suffered. This year, there have been – listen to this, Davis. It's kind of an interesting stat. These following players have all missed a minimum of 30 games up to 100 games. Devin Mezzarocco, Brandon Phillips, Joey Votto, Skip Shoemaker, Jay Bruce, Jack Hanahan, Homer Bailey, Tony Sengrani, Matt Latos, Logan Andrusik, Todd Bell, Aroldis Chapman, and Sean Marshall. I mean, that, that that's the making of a pretty good team. And these guys have all missed between 30 and 30 games and the whole season. So the, there's talent there, but what happened this year 
was predictable to the extent that, hey, if you lose four or five of your starters, guys, who are you going to bring up? Who are you going to trade for? And the answer was they didn't. They couldn't bring anybody up because there was no talent, and they had no money to bring anybody else in. So I don't think a new GM will blow it up, but I think he will be more judicious in, in, in managing the contract so you have players on the bench who can step in and perform, which the Reds did not have this year. Maybe the question for Walt Jockety should be, and also I guess for the Texas Rangers and maybe the Atlanta Braves, do you fire the trainer and your medical staff and bring in a whole new group? Well, that's going to be hard to do. That that, that group is so immersed in Cincinnati and with the Reds. Uh, Doc Krimshek, uh, he, he's really does a great marketing job. But it's, again, I, I don't want to play doctor here because I don't know what I'm talking about. But it, it's it's absolutely remarkable that either they're getting the wrong off-season advice from the training staff or the guys simply aren't staying in shape in the off-season. So they come into spring training and they and they blow a tire and they're, and they're gone for the year. I mean, what is Sean Marshall? Is he done? Uh, the Reds signed him. He, he missed the entire year this year. He missed most of last year. Uh, what, what's he doing? Uh, uh, Rose Chapman, of course, got hurt. You can't help that. He got hit by a line drive. And, but, but all these guys, Singrani and Homer Bailey, uh, they, they've all had injuries that you, you, you can't blame them on the staff, I don't think. But it's certainly something you have to look at. It, it, what kind of training regimen are they going through that would seem to prohibit that? But at the same time, look what happened to the Braves this year. Look what happened to the Cardinals staff. Is it because these guys are just getting so big and strong that they throw so hard that their body can't they can't uh, contain the injury? They can't stop the injury. Let's blame Bud Selig. <laughs> hey, you know, he's he's going out. Let's just blame Bud. Okay, that's going to do it for our Ask Us segment tonight. Of course, you can join us each and every week for this segment just simply by sending in your questions to Ask Us or DMitch at ultimatesportstalk.com, or you can send me a tweet to OHBB co-host. Mark, let's look at some Major League notes of note for tonight. Old friend Adam Dunn, he's been traded to Oakland. Oakland, after they traded Cespedes to Boston for John Lester, decided that they didn't have enough hitting, so they went over to Chicago, got Adam Dunn. Adam Dunn came into Oakland this afternoon, and in his first at-bat, hit a two-run homer, and the A's broke a five-game losing streak. But then Dunn came out and said he's probably going to retire at the end of the year. Well, he said that before the game started. Uh, everybody knew he was going to retire, but he's pretty close to 500 home runs, and uh, I wonder if he might be talked out of that. Uh, obviously, he still has power, but, uh, you know, Adam Dunn has done real well outside of baseball. He's no dummy. And uh, he's, uh, they call him the big donkey, but he, he's, no, he's, he's no dummy. So he spent his money well and wisely, and uh, so he's not playing for, for money. But, you know, being a 500 home run guy, uh, he, I don't think Adam Dunn would ever be confused with a Hall of Famer. But that, that's quite a plateau, and I wonder if he gets closer this year and he might reconsider. Well, that could be. But I'll tell you what, he, he has never played in the postseason, Mark. Can you believe that? That's right. That's, that is kind of hard to believe that he, he never did. 
it's um, th there's a lot of interesting statistics that when you look at some baseball anomalies like that. I mean, I, I just read haphazardly today that uh, Jim Palmer, remember the Jim, the former Oriole, yes, Hall of Famer, he never gave up a grand slam home run. He pitched twenty <laughs> twenty years in the big leagues. I, you know, okay, big deal, but. Every pitcher, I bet, who's pitched 20 years in the big leagues has given up a grand slam. But uh, And then Adam Dunn never getting to the playoffs. And I bet people would be surprised he's close to 500 home runs. Uh, but he, he hit over 40 home runs for the Reds for four or five consecutive years. You know, you mentioned Jim Palmer, and I go back to something that I had mentioned last week when you and I were discussing how to speed up baseball games, and I said, let's call a strike a strike. Well, my father, in talking to him when he heard the show, he said, you realize that Jim Palmer couldn't throw a strike today because his strike zone was basically from the letters to about the middle of the calf or, or, or the thigh. Not the knee, but the thigh. And you could not he would not be able to throw a strike today the way they call strikes. Yeah, it was really an anomaly with Jim Palmer because he pitched high. And you'd think he'd get lit up with a lot of home runs, and uh, he didn't. He had he had a great motion, and, you know, he came back from major surgery. He was hurt very badly. People thought he was his career was over at one time, and he came back and pitched another, you know, 10 years. And, you know, you look back at a lot of these guys who had injuries, like Sandy Koufax. Well, he would have undergone Tommy John, come back and been thrown 100 miles an hour. Uh, his career would have been off the charts if he had lived in this era. And a lot of the pitchers who were injured back then would have had many, many more years added to their, their careers had it not been for, uh, or not had it been for, but if they had the same surgical options that pitchers have today. Mark, not that I really want to know, but I have to, I'm kind of curious. I wonder if Jim Palmer still wears jockey underwear. <laughs> Well, I'm sure every time he goes to the airport, somebody like you is going to go up and ask him. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, definitely not going to ask him. Hey, today, Mark, first combined no-hitter in Phillies history over the Atlanta Braves. Cole Hamels, Jake Diekman, Ken Giles, and John Papelbon, four pitchers combined to pitch the no-hitter for the Phillies over the Braves today. That's not done very often. No, it's not, and I bet you Papelbon was breathing heavily into that ninth inning. <laughs> it was, uh, man, don't don't blow it now. After, uh, but Hamels went what six innings? Yes. Okay. Six innings, walked five, struck out seven, and threw 108 pitches, and that's why they got him out. Yeah, well, it's uh, that's smart managing by the Phillies, and that's another team. You know, you look at a team that uh, has a lot of high-priced players, and they are. They are suffering from that now, and that, that team had their opportunity, their window, and they did not go through it. That uh, They could have won two or three World Series championships and with the talent they had, and they weren't able to pull it off. So, And now that team is going to be blown apart next year, I think. I heard that there is some dissension in the front office as to what they want to do with this Phillies team because they continually – are at the top of the attendance marks in Major League Baseball with the players that they have. So the ownership doesn't want to break it up, but Ruben Amaro, their GM, 
would like to and start building toward the future, but the ownership just won't let it. Yeah, but what you know, you have these guys on these long-term deals. Who are you going to trade? Who's going to take their contract? That's a good question. I mean, they have they have four or five guys. Their their pitching staff and first baseman and second baseman making and, and Rollins making huge money, and they're old, and they're not as productive as they were. And they have huge amounts of money due them. And so I don't know how you get out of that, but I hear the Reds are following that path. And next year, if the Reds don't win it next year, I think this team will be blown up. And and frankly, I think it should be. Another piece of news that came out today, Bo Porter of Houston, fired. They're 59-79 and 79 this year, but they're not in last place. They're in fourth place in that Western Division behind the Angels, the A's, and Seattle. Porter, in just a little under two years, Mark, 110 wins, 190 losses. I really thought he had this ball club on the right track. They've got a lot of good ball players on that team, but evidently he was not getting along with the GM, Tom Ludnow, and Tom Lawless now has taken over as interim manager. Yeah, I, I saw that today. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. I, I thought Houston had made had made some progress, so there must be some things that we, the fans, don't know that's happening, things that are happening in the clubhouse, because that's the only explanation. I, I think they've made progress this year. Uh, they're not drawing very well, but uh, they will. That team, that, that city does, just like Cleveland. You put a, a winner in Houston, they're going to draw the same with Cleveland. So that that was a little surprising to me, too. Hey, Mark, of course, let's get away from this just for a second before we wrap up tonight's show. I know you've got some exciting news about your book that's out in print, Last at Bat. What's going on with that now? What's the latest? Well, we released Last at Bat just in the Dayton, Ohio area, and we did pretty well with it. We got some good reviews, and we sold quite a few books. Uh, So it's been picked up by an international publisher that's going to release it nationally and internationally. It's going to be in four different languages, and uh, it's going to be all over the world. You can buy it on the Internet. Uh, we have an audio uh, version of the book that we're going to be actually posting on our on our website. Um, so it, it's it's fun for me to, uh, you know, have this thing worldwide and uh, have people in different languages, different countries read it. it, it as those of you who have, have read it, uh, it's, it's a story about a Cincinnati Reds player, a fictional player, and what happens to him. But I've got a, a second book coming out at the end of the year called Golden Reich, and those books will be available on any number of websites that we have on Amazon. Uh, we're going to be everywhere, Dave. And uh, one of my team leaders, Linda Jordan, has been heading up our marketing and being the, the spearhead for all this thing, and I want to thank her for all the work she's done and will continue to do, I'm sure. So we're all excited about it, and uh, we're still working on the film. And uh, so hopefully by next year at this time, we'll be able to talk about Last About the Movie. Four different languages, huh? Well, it's going to be in Asia, and they said it's going to be in uh, Japanese and Korean. Uh, it's going to be in Spanish, and I'm not sure what the other one was. Well, English, obviously, then. Uh, so it'll be uh, it, it sold in Latin America, it, in South America. The only place it won't be sold is Europe. Uh, North Korea and Russia? 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> but, uh, I'm just happy it's going to That'll be on Putin's uh, bookshelf. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for you, Mark. Congratulations. I'm I'm glad to hear that, and uh, we'll we'll look forward to that. It'll it'll be in paperback coming up here soon. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. Okay, so what's going on with the Reds this week, Mark? Well, they got the Orioles uh, coming up starting tomorrow, and then they have St. Louis. And the Reds could lose. I, I think they play St. Louis over the weekend, um, and they could lose all those games. And I hate to say that, uh, but uh, with the teams they have to play the rest of the season, those teams are driving for playoff berths. The Reds aren't. And this could be an embarrassing month for the Reds. The only way they turn this season around is, as I, as I said, they have to win 20, at least 20 games out of 25. And I, and I think that's just fundamentally impossible with the lineup they've got. How about the Indians? Well, actually, Mark, let me let, me let you know, uh, the Mets actually play the Reds this weekend. That's right. And then St. Louis is the beginning of next week. That's right. That's right. Yeah. The Indians, they've got three more games left with Detroit. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, all at night. Then they've got the White Sox coming in for a three-game set. Then they've got that Angels makeup game on Monday. That's from June 18th. So hopefully the Reds and the Indians will be back in it by the end of this week. Well, your lips to God's ears, but I know the Indians will be. I think they can they can hold their own with that pitching. Uh, the Reds are not going to be, unless I, I missed my, my bet here, um, they're not going to be able to com- compete with these teams going to the playoffs. But good luck to the Indians. And what do you think they're going to do this week? Well, I, I, like I said, I think they've got to win 18, maybe 19 games this month. So if you divide that by uh, 4.3, I guess they've got to come up with at least four to five wins this week. Well, I think the Indians can do it. I, I think they have the pitching to do it, and I hope they do. I'm hoping they just split with Detroit. All right, Mark, have a good week. We'll talk to you again next week. All right, David, have a good one. Thank you. You too. That's going to do it for our show tonight. Don't forget Ultimate Sports Talk show coming up Thursday night at 7 o'clock here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. And we'll be back next Monday night with another Ohio Baseball Weekly show at 9 o'clock. Our thanks to all those who sent in questions for our Ask Us segment. And, of course, to you for listening. Our thanks also to Greg Mitchell, our producer. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next Monday night at 9 o'clock, good night, everybody.